At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and I'm the Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health South Florida, the Deputy Medical Director of Miami Cardiac Investor Institute and Chief of Cardiology at Baptist Hospital. Cardiovascular disease remains the leading cause of death and disability in the United States and other modern countries. And after years of decline, the rates of cardiovascular deaths have been increasing in the US over the past few years. Some of this may be attributed to an aging population, a more overweight and sedentary population, and a more stressed and sleep deprived population. Yet with all the information we've gained regarding our cardiovascular system over the past decades, we are still unable to define the true risk in an individual. From a large population standpoint, we know that smoking, hypertension, lipid and cholesterol abnormalities, diabetes, genetics, and other factors can contribute, but not every smoker will have a heart attack, and not every presumably healthy runner is immune from a heart attack. We have with us today a national and international leader in cardiac prevention with particular focus on the information we can glean from imaging, biomarkers or blood tests, and other parameters, most intriguingly genomic testing, to better help us determine what truly leads to cardiac disease, and perhaps more importantly, in whom we may better predict a heart attack or other outcomes so we can act to prevent that event. Dr. Kurum Nasser is the Chief of Cardiovascular Prevention and Wellness at Houston Methodist. Dr. Nasser is the principal investigator in the Miami Heart Study which created a database that is unlike any other in the world that is now gaining recognition and broad interest by leading academic centers and industry. It's a great pleasure and an honor to have Dr. Nasser with us on our podcast today. Welcome, Kurum. John, such a pleasure to be uh, with you and especially um, having a conversation around uh, topics which are near and dear to Miami Cardi- uh, MCVI and at Baptist Health. So gr- great to be on board today. Well, we certainly recognize your uh, great expertise and being a real catalyst for a lot of the work that's been done at MCVI and in coordination with with uh, where you are at Houston Methodist. And, and let's get into that a little bit. So um, before we get into the Miami Heart Study and its unique aspects, let's talk a little bit about setting a baseline for what we're discussing. So talk a little bit about atherosclerosis. We know there's a hardening of the arteries as a wastebasket term. We know it's inflammation. But what don't we know about atherosclerosis, which has driven this further investigation that led to the Miami Heart Study? So, John, I think so. You you laid a great foundation in talking about risk factors. You know, within within the whole spectrum of coronary heart disease is something that's new to us. Um, almost less than a hundred years ago, we had no clue about coronary artery disease, and suddenly we started realizing um, young men coming from World War II having certain heart attacks and strokes and dying from it. And of course, Framingham Heart Study then cascaded and gave us the first risk factors. Atherosclerosis means development of the plaque buildup in the arteries. And of course, our understanding about it, it's pretty new, especially among individuals who have not yet had any heart disease or invasive procedures. Uh, It wasn't until 1990 that Arthur Eggerston, one of our own also from Miami, uh, showed us that using a CT scan, you can pick up portions, calcified portions of the plaque. And over the last two decades, we clearly got to learn that this is the main substrate or the main risk factors for cardiovascular disease, especially heart disease. Uh, however, at the same time, we don't know what 
is truly causing these plaque to build up to progress? What are the biological determinants? So think about it. So far, we have truly scratched the surface. And the re reason for that is we just didn't have good tools to do that. However, with the advancement in the multi-detector CT technology now where you can give contrast and even within one heartbeat, assess the entire architecture of the coronary artery disease. I think so we are at a very exciting time where we have started learning a little bit more about atherosclerosis, the number one cause of heart disease. So you, you actually started um, that, that wonderful um, uh, introductory explanation with a comment, and I think I want to put that context. If someone has a heart attack, someone has a stroke, of course, we're going to be very aggressive to intervene to decrease the chances of that second event. But we're talking about people who would have no overt evidence of having vascular disease. We know you don't go to sleep with a normal artery and wake up with a, a blockage the next day. So there's a process. So we're talking about an earlier detection of who may have atherosclerosis. And then, of course, finding which of those people with atherosclerosis may go on to have more aggressive, um, uh, bad outcomes, so to speak. So, so as you bring that, what are, if you will, and, and you alluded to it a little bit, before we get to the Mammy Heart Study, um, you're talking about imaging, uh, testing, quick scans, safe scans that can give us this plaque uh, ab, uh, assessment and, and um, uh, plaque composition. So talk about who kind of right now in our current standards of care, where does that come into play? Where do we get these calciums, these, these tests like a calcium score? And what's the difference between a calcium score test and a CTA, for example? Right, just, just to start, on this, uh, John, currently, as you know, uh, one the current models that are used to really identify individuals who are at risk are still risk-based, uh, which were first defined almost 60 years back. And what we have been doing over the last few, few many decades that we take those risk factors, put them in a model, shake it up, and come up with your risk of having a heart attack. Now, that's been the standard, or I would say the foundation in how you decide someone in the current practices, whether you may be more aggressive with, uh, of course, everyone needs lifestyle intervention, but whether you would need life-saving therapies like statins that lowers the cholesterol or aspirin. Um, however, what we have learned uh, over the last 20 years that these risk prediction models are extremely limited. And right. for the last decade, a lot of work from multi-ethnic study of atherosclerosis and from our group have clearly shown that these methods are imprecise. Among individuals who may be coming in your clinic where you will say, well, you're high risk and you need to commit to a cholesterol therapy for the next 10, 15 lifelong, almost half of them, when you use this simple non-contrast CT scan, uh, that shows that if you don't have any plaque buildup, and we have kind of, it's now commonly known as the power of zero, uh, they are at a much lower risk of having a risk factors. Now, of course, you also mentioned that just because your cholesterol is high um, doesn't mean that all of them will have atherosclerosis and vice versa. And this is what we are seeing, a huge diversity. Yeah where almost one third of individuals who may have no risk factors actually have tremendous amount of disease and at a high risk who need to be treated aggressively and vice versa, where almost half of individuals with worse cholesterol may not have any plaque where you can be flexible with them with just lifestyle, uh, I would say intervention. So clearly we need to do a better job in identifying the risk of the person who is sitting in front of us. And in that regard, the calcium score, and hopefully the CT angiogram, which is 
giving a contrast and we can talk a little bit more about it would truly help us uh, in making those decisions. So as we said, the, the general risk factors that have identified over decades are appropriate for populations. If I have 10,000 60-year-old smoking men, we'll probably see more heart attacks over 15 years than 10,000 non-smoking 60-year-old men. But to the individual, we don't know what the risk necessarily is. And now we're getting into more precise, more precision approach. And was that the intent of the Miami Heart Study? Talk a little bit about what your thoughts were and what the leadership's thoughts were in putting together that database. And then, of course, we'll get into what exactly is in that database that's so unique. Uh, so, I, again, uh... John, you have to go back to 2013 and 14, you know, by that time, what were our challenges? Our challenges were very clearly that the risk factors prediction were imprecise and uh, we truly didn't have a good understanding of not only the individual risk, but what is causing the atherosclerosis or the plaque buildup in the coronaries. And the good part is newer challenges bring newer opportunities and a kudos to, I would say, the leadership at Miami Cardiovascular Institute and a lot of folks within the Houston, uh, I would say the Baptist and ecosystem that we all came together and say, you know, rather than I clearly remember um, uh, Mr. Keeley's remark that, you know, we can wait, we can wait for other to give us the information uh, and follow, or we can lead. And the decision was we wanted to lead and the intent was to rekindle the spirit of the Framingham Heart Study that was done in 1948 in trying to understand what causes heart disease. And now it was trying to understand what causes atherosclerosis. Uh, it was a challenging project. Uh, when we reached out to NIH, they told that it is very ambitious, uh, can be done. However, that's not the spirit at uh, Baptist Heart. And we put a team together. And in three years, we recruited with the help of our community who truly wanted to contribute to this new knowledge, not only for themselves, their community, but for the rest of the world, where eventually now we are at a stage with our internal, I would say national and international collaboration, we can unravel the secrets of what causes the number one cause of heart disease that is atherosclerosis. So the Miami Heart Study was, um, tell us, first place, they were asymptomatic patients. I think it should be very clear that we're talking about yes. people in the community, middle-aged people with no evidence of vascular disease otherwise. And what was, uh, by entering into the study, what was, what was done to them? What was the data that we kind of collected um, at the time? So think about it. It, it was very much based, uh, John, on the traditional cohorts. For example, uh, the Framingham Heart Study, the famous Framingham Heart Study, and the multi-ethnic study of atherosclerosis, which recruited almost 6,000 individuals all across the U.S., but guiding us what the contra, non-contra CT, the calcium score, was done. So what was unique about Miami Heart Study, first of all, they, this was all not exclusively, but a significant proportion of the Hispanic Latino community. There are no large studies specifically in this regard, number one. Number two, as you know, which you pointed out early on in your introduction, that now we are seeing a resurgence of coronary heart disease in the young. Most of the prior cohorts were in elderly population. This was a young middle age, age 40 to 60. Uh, so that was the second thing. But the most unique piece of the Miami Heart Study was this is the only cohort in the United States, a population-based cohort, where for the first time we were able to employ uh, the novel uh, CT scans that in one heartbeat can give you all the information of not only the plaque, the types of plaques, 
and much more beyond. So, so actually, Kerm, let me let me interrupt for a second because I think that's very key. So the patient, the subjects, were healthy people in the community. Yes. They said they're entering the trial, and we're saying let's look at a bunch of stuff so we can then see what correlates in the findings with what you know may go on down the road. So they all got a CT angiogram, which is a very safe, fast you know scan as you articulated, and we're looking not just for blockages, but we're looking at presence of atherosclerosis and what is in that plaque that might differentiate um, the individual and their outcomes? Is that is that an appropriate way to uh, explain that? Yeah. And, and John, one of the key things is that we have slowly started learning that even if you have plaque, not all plaque are the same because right. the plaque have a life of their own. And as a part of the process or a healing process, some of the plaques may actually be extremely stable. Uh, that would suggest that the risk for those individuals having a heart attack, at least in the short in period, may be lower. Whereas now we have been learning from individuals uh, having heart attacks like acute coronary syndrome, that there are some plaque features that put individuals at more risk. So for the first time, uh, and then again, there is no other modality that can give us that information non-invasively and in a safe manner. And think about it, atherosclerosis being the underlying pinning foundation of heart disease, yet in 2022, there is no other cohort in the country that can provide us that information. I hope that what we have been able to do at MCVI and Baptist Health will spur interest not only with all the other genetics, precision medicine, social scientists, all of us coming together, but also incentivize NHLBI to invest in further studies like this. So 2,400 individuals, asymptomatic middle-aged people have among their tests, a CTA, as you said, we're looking at not just having, we think I have a blockage, I'm going to have a heart attack, not necessarily. It could be stable, at least like you said, short intermediate term. And people without significant blockages might have other kinds of composition of the plaque that might put them at risk, which is what this database is looking for to further determine. Um, Talk about the genomics for a second, though, because that's another aspect. We have the imaging component, which is part and parcel of what the Mammy Heart Study uh, developed. That database is unique. There's a lot of interest in that. Where, what was the thoughts in creating um, sampling for genomic testing? Where does that stand as part of the Heart Study, um, the Heart Study evolution? So, John, a as we've started learning for many last two decades, that genetics seems to play an important, if not the most important role in development of heart disease. Now, the question from, from our standpoint, the genetics was very important from few standpoint. Number one, as you pointed out, we have started noticing a lot of two diverse groups. One was individuals who without risk factors, runners leading a healthy lifestyle and having early plaque and a lot of plaque. And on the other hand, diabetics with severely elevated cholesterol having no disease. So this is now translated into this concept of vulnerability at one end where you're vulnerable in spite of the fact traditionally you shouldn't get the disease. And then among people who you would think that they are walking with underlying disease, but actually have not. So we truly think that there is a tremendous opportunity for us to learn from the genetics, whether there is a genetic upregulation, downregulation, and influence of on the proteins or the biomarkers that can give us insight. That's what's the shield that these individuals are holding, because think about the value of this. Currently, our approach in managing 
heart disease or atherosclerosis is taking away the risk, for example, lowering your cholesterol, controlling your blood pressure and other. But what about if genetics can guide us and tell us what is the variation in the genetics or the molecular basis that is providing shield to those individuals that can eventually be translated into therapeutics. So not only we are taking away the risk factors, but also providing the shield in future to these vulnerable individuals. And is that is that really where you see um, um, the development of the goal of what we call precision medicine? I mean, that, I think that's really the holy grail. It's not, you know, what's going to happen to what could happen to me relative to what happened to others, but what really is could happen to me or what do I have to do? Or what medicine is best for me? Um, I think when, you know, as we as practitioners, we do get that pushback from people quite often when we prescribe what is recommended based on guidelines and clinical trials. And they may say, well, you know, do I really need this? And, and of course, the answer is maybe. Answer is, it's probabilities. And, you know, the data in big groups says it. But is that what your particular vision is for what we'll have with precision medicine and, and cardiovascular prevention? Elaborate on that a little bit. So, John, it's kind of the approach taken by many of the physicians in your group, and I've learned it from you too. It's all about the right patient, right time, and right intervention. So, of course, on an average, we truly think that those patients may benefit, but the question is, how can we reduce the noise? That's really what it is, heterogeneity, uh, because not all diabetics are the same. And you and I, clearly, we have seen that uh, all you need is three diabetics and one will have no plaque and one will mild and one will severe. But in, if we treat all of them the same, then of course we may be over treating some and under treating some. And right. in 2022, it's not only about statin decisions. As you know, aspirin is a hard choice right now in primary prevention. So unless and until you have a lot of plaque, you may not be a good candidate. And with new interventions coming in, such as icosapien, uh, the purified fish oil and some of the cardiometabolic therapies for diabetes. I think the heart scans, the calcium testing, and hopefully the CT angiogram in some of the, I would say, select populations can help you truly guide who are the individuals who need it. Not only at an individual level, John, of course, in, in your you're wearing the hat of the population health management and how do you allocate the resources? So now you can say, well, a subset of the population the system or the societal resources can be flexible where you want to invest more among the highest risk because that's where you will get your dividends. So we truly believe and cost-effective analysis have shown that upstream investment in these technologies in identifying the right patient also are cost-effective from the health system and the societal basis, not only informing the patient in front of you. Well said. How do you take these population data and apply them to an individual? How do you take limited resources, which we have in healthcare, and apply them where they're best used? And, and that's the exciting part of, of where we're going. I mean, I do see down the road, and you can tell me what you think, that people will have, maybe based on a blood test profile, maybe based on a calcium score or a CTA, quite frankly, which again, given the advancements of the technology, becomes rapid and safe and hopefully <laughs> inexpensive. And they'll have a profile. And this is your prescription for exercise. And this is your prescription for sleep. And this is your prescription for food variability. I won't say diet. I don't like to use that word. And, and medications where appropriate. And, and I think thanks to you and your, your vision and your leadership, that is where this data is uh, supporting and where it's driving us. Um, is that where you see things going? Is that where you eventually see, you know, ultimately uh, a, a goal for us as providers and in, 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 in having to deal with someone in front of you who's asking questions as well as broader populations of people? 
No, thank thank you, John, for mentioning this. Honestly, I, I think so. As you you and I we have discussed multiple times, we're still in the state of disease care, and hopefully, in in the spirit of trying to promote healthcare, this is truly um, a mechanism. I'm not saying that calcium testing or a CT is going to be the whole answer. It's going to be a lot of information, more information from different inputs that may include variables, your lifestyle, your food habits, your exercise prescription. But the most important foundation truly to understand, especially in 2022 and moving beyond, do you need treatment with the vast majority of options that we have? As far as where we stand right now, there is no better test than trying to understand what's your plaque burden. But is that all and all? No, I don't believe. I think so you can supplement who may need specific therapies, especially from the diet, physical sleep. And of course, as you know, with Dr. Walia, we're working a lot in trying to understand the relationship of sleep and atherosclerosis. A frequent, a frequent podcast guest. <laughs> yes, I guess. And, you know, there are so many things, but I think so we are laying here the foundation. And I just wanted to point that out, John, that it truly takes a village to get there. Uh, looking back seven years back, I, I, I think that, without the significant contribution of MCVI and the innovative spirit of Baptist Health, and more importantly, the leaders that I truly want to acknowledge here, uh, without their support, none of this would have been happened, such as Jack Ziffer, uh, uh, Barry Kadzen, yourself, Bo Belanger, and Calvin Balbock from the community. I think so. It was a village, and that whole spirit of what the community in Framingham came together to answer not only for themselves, for the world. I think so that was what it took us to build this. And now truly we are open to investigators and with open arms, we are inviting folks, experts from all across the country and internationally who are heeding to our call. And as you have seen, significant collaboration efforts have led into the last many months. So let's 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 finish with that point, which again is, uh, oh, as always, very <clears throat> articulate. And well said. So the Miami Heart Study Database, 2,400 asymptomatic people at the time of uh, entry. Um, it's about 50% women. What's the what's the men, male to female ratio? So it's interesting. It's almost one is to one. Maybe yeah. uh, about 50% each are men and women. More age 40 to 60 are mean ages around 50, but we still have about 25% individuals less than 45. So again, uh, very unusual to have such a, a high representation of women in a trial in a study. Uh, imaging study down to plaque composition levels, uh, various other parameters of vasomotor activities, biomarkers, blood testing, sleep surveys, great data. If someone, uh, um, uh, an academic, an academic, or someone wanted to have access to that data for a potential or research uh, study, um, what's the best way for them to uh, to uh, contact uh, you or us? What would be the way uh, they would? Uh, let us know that they're interested. John, as you know, uh, as we were designing the study, the idea was we wanted more hands on the table, more expertise. Uh, of course, there's not everything that we can do ourselves. I, I'm not a genetic expert or a social expert and vice versa. So we are inviting all these expertise all across the nation. The best way is getting in touch with some of our uh, primary investigators like yourself, myself, Dr. Feldman, and there is a website, they can send us an email. But the process usually works. If you have an idea, you are outreach to Miami Cardiovascular Institute, our investigators, there is a process where you can, we will, which we will help and hold the hands in creating the proposal. There is a committee that reviews the proposal uh, about 
its appropriateness, whether it can be done, whether there is an overlap with other proposals. And once it's approved, then we have our own teams locally, as well as at, at Houston Methodist. And of course, with some data user agreement, the data can be shared. So uh, truly a great opportunity for this multi-institutional collaborations. And I would definitely use this podcast to invite as many people who are interested in this unique data set. Well, thanks again, Karam, and we will have a link to our, in the program notes to how others may be able to uh, communicate with us if they uh, have any interest in, in taking part in the database. This truly was uh, visionary on your part and by the others, as you mentioned, and uh, it's a true collaborative effort, and this database should be used to foster uh, conversation, thought, uh, innovation, and uh, the further learning of, of atherosclerosis and um, uh, avoidance of cardiovascular disease and outcomes. So again, thanks, Karam. This is Again, exciting, revolutionary approach to cardiovascular disease, finding those patients at risk. We hope to have you back soon for updates on the Miami Heart Study and maybe deeper dives into some of the concepts and components. Thanks again, Karim. Well, uh, thank you, John. And, and again, I, I truly believe that the Miami Heart Study at Baptist Health South Florida and Miami Cardiovascular Institute would truly shine and lead the way, be, be the North Star, like the Framingham Heart Study that guided us what risk factors led to heart disease. And now truly this study, I think in the next five to 10 years, will provide the foundation in understanding the substrate of heart disease, atherosclerosis, its management, treatment, and prevention. So thank you so much for having me. To our listeners, as always, please send any thoughts, ideas, or requests for future podcast topics to Baptist Health Talk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. To our listeners again, please stay safe. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.